Welcome to another episode of the Locker Lot Lab podcast. I am Arik Levy, general partner at Locker One Ventures. And I'm Brian Dewey, co-founder and CEO of Colony. And today we are joined by Brett Wagner from Lightline. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Brett. Hey, Arik and Brian. Thanks so much for having me today. I am super excited to be here. Uh, I've been following what you guys are doing, and I think what you know, the podcast is incredibly important for innovation for the locker space and last mile. So I'm ecstatic to be here. Great. Well, yeah, I mean, we've started this podcast to feature companies like yours that are doing cool stuff. And, you know, you're, what you're doing is not exactly in the locker space, but definitely, uh, you know, helps with asynchronous delivery or even synchronous delivery. And, and that last mile, that last 50 feet, um, you know, we talk because uh, being in the locker business, we're trying to figure out how do we integrate with companies like yours uh, and drones and land drones and different types of things because, you know, those two do, do need to converge at some point in time. And so I thought what you guys were doing was exciting. Um, there's a lot of opportunities. In fact, I was at, uh, I think it was Cincinnati Airport the other day and saw one of those little drones roaming around uh, delivering food at your terminal. So. Uh, Brett, maybe you can give our audience just an overview of what you guys, what your product is, um, what you're working on, and, and the backstory of how you got there. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so we started around three and a half years ago, um, and prior to Lightline, uh, I'd been working on a startup in the outdoor space, so last mile delivery for sidewalks and outdoor and I had a co-founder at the time, and we were looking at that space, and it was super exciting. There was a lot of movement, a lot of players, and we said, you know what? Maybe there's an opportunity with, within the indoor space, because outdoor, you know, we were small, and we said, okay, well, no one's really tackling that. Maybe there's an opportunity there. So fast forward a year, a year or so later, um, came with to Babson in Boston um, to study entrepreneurship and started Lightline Delivery. And the goal with Lightline Delivery is to give time and space to people uh, living in apartment buildings. Um, and then additionally, have operational efficiencies for management or properties. So what we do is we deliver packages, food, and groceries, essentially whatever comes in the front door from the front desk directly to the unit store. So that was the whole concept of Lightline Delivery. And we started with uh, an Xbox controller, uh, a robot, um, and you know two simple apps. And we went into an apartment building in Cambridge, <clears throat> you know, big luxury apartment building. And we said, "Hey, can we come in and you know just play around, and deliver packages for like four weeks and see how people like it?" Um, and they said, "Sure." So I walked around with this robot for four weeks uh, and just deliver packages, controlling it with an Xbox controller, and people loved it. So we said, okay, how do we actually build this? How do we make it autonomous? How do we connect to elevators? That whole thing. Um, and so that's what we've been working on for, you know, around the past three and a half years. And we've run pilots with, uh, you know, Bizzuto, Ritz-Carlton. You know, we have a lot of others in the pipeline right now. Um, but, you know, we're, we're seed stage. We're about to raise, uh, uh, you know, uh, around. You know, and uh, that's where we're at now. So, yep. All right. Is there a need for is there is there a need for lesser one lockers once these things are deployed in, in multifamily? Oh yeah, I mean lockers. We see lockers as kind of a big part to the puzzle. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean it's 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 a it's a part of the puzzle that we don't think will come for you know we'll have to be kind of established for a little bit to to kind of support that integration. But um, you know, ideally, we can automate the entire process of packages coming into a building. Um, you know, from the time they come in, they go directly to the unit door. Um, you know, right now in our system and how we're working right now is we need a concierge or one of the staff members to load a package into the robot. Um, but ultimately, if we can eliminate that, uh, you know, things will be a lot more efficient, a lot more cost effective. Um, so we see lockers as a huge, huge part of the puzzle. Yeah. And one of the things I was just going to note, if you're listening to this podcast and you're curious in what we're talking about, go to lightlinedelivery.com. Um, and there's some videos, some little um, teaser videos on there, and it's kind of cool. So if you see those videos, it'll kind of give you a frame of reference of, of what Brett is talking about. So, Brett, I love this concept of uh, you got a little, you know, RC car type thing with it with an Xbox controller and you're, you're uh, you know, that's the way you got to learn the business, right? I spent many a night sitting in an apartment building uh, figuring out how people want to deliver laundry to a locker. Um, so what we're saw, I mean, you talked about elevators, right? I wouldn't even think about that. But when you're roaming around an apartment building uh, with this drone, and, and obviously your goal is eventually to make this thing autonomous, uh, what are some of the, the big uh, ahas you had or like, oh, craps you had of, of how the hell am I going to solve this? <laughs> um, you know, that's a great question. I think uh, what, one of the funniest things that we found out um, is if there's a button on the robot, people will press it. So, uh, you know, we had a big red button for an emergency stop as a safety mechanism and people would open the door, you know, they get a notification, they, you know, have this prompt to walk through the app, but they'd see a big red button and they would immediately press it and that would kill the robot. <laughs> so <laughs> that was kind of one thing uh, that was funny, but, you know, operationally, um, <clears throat> you know, really getting a brass tacks here, like elevators has been one of the biggest challenges, um, you know, that that has definitely been one, of, been one of the biggest challenges, and you know we're kind of finding different workarounds around that kind of uh, solutions that we kind of build on top of, um, and ultimately yeah, we think you know, there or something that you shoot at. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen some robot companies, you know, make arms uh, like little robotic arms that come out and press an elevator button. Um, for the for the robot of our size, we're not sure if that's you know that's going to be at least in the short term that feasible. Uh, but you know all these elevator companies, you know they're I think they're getting faster at innovating, um, which is really encouraging to see. Um, but really, in the past three years, it's been a lot of innovation on their side to uh, you know connect these elevators to the cloud, and so we're kind of hitting the timing just right um, because. You know, before, if, you know, we did this seven years ago, it's like, you know, a small cell come to an elevator company like, hey, can you guys do this? Or, you know, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so, The nice thing, or maybe the not nice thing, is there's really only two major elevator companies, right? Isn't there Otis and there's one other one, isn't there? And, I mean, there's others, but those seem to have the lion's share of the market. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely right on that, Brian. It's Otis and uh, Kone are the two biggest, uh, followed yeah. by... Uh, Thyssenkrupp, Schindler, Mitsubishi, there's some other ones, but yeah, yeah. So, so that makes it a little bit easier. You're right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so That's fascinating. You know, apartment buildings always, you know, it advise people that you, you need to find a, a niche, right? So it's like, Hey, we've got drones and apartment buildings. 
and and by doing that, you know, now you create some barriers to entry, and obviously there's a lot of challenges that are, are unique to apartment buildings, whether it be elevators, uh, doors, you know, people living in their apartments, uh, lockers, right? You're going to run into lockers, and most of these buildings we're going into are probably going to have lockers in them, so they're going to rip out the lockers or or interface with them. But why did you choose apartment buildings? I mean, you talked about you're looking at outside, and then you decided to go inside. But what was it about apartment buildings? that you felt like that was the, the crosshairs where you want to focus your business? Um, yeah, that's a really great question. I think uh, the answer is kind of twofold. One, one is a personal answer, and then two is an answer just on the general market. So my personal answer is that I think it's the most fun. Um, it's everyday consumer living. You know, you're in front of people in luxury par- apartments. People are going to know the brand. Um, and it's just really cool to serve, you know, serve customers every day <clears throat> with a problem that I personally have had with living in, a, you know, four or five different, you know, high rise, mid rise apartments. Um, and I was like, you know, what? this is a problem. Like, I want to solve this. <laughs> so that's kind of personally why I want to do or why we wanted to do apartments. Um, and then from a market perspective, uh, it was it's kind of the it's the area of opportunity where there's the most assumptions that have to be proven in terms of a viable business. And what I mean by that is, you know, you'll see uh, robot companies going into hospitals and hotels mainly. And it's like, OK, well, what's the value there? Well, the value there is very clearly cutting operational expenses, now, when you're going into, and so, and so that's where you kind of saw most of the proliferation of indoor robotics um, in buildings is, you know, hospitals, hotels, <clears throat> obviously manufacturing, warehouses, distribution, that sort of thing. Um, but then when you got into apartments, uh, you know, there's, there's obviously operational efficiencies. There's definitely some operational efficiencies, but there's this assumption that not, I don't think a lot of the market realized about the behavior of, you know, consumers within buildings, which is they like time and they like their own space and they like convenience. And sometimes they don't want to talk to people. So that's kind of, that's kind of uh, why we chose, chose uh, apartments. And eventually I think, you know, going in with everyday consumer living, I think offices would probably be the next move. Um, but we'll kind of let people playing in the hospitals and hotels. Like, you know, I think that's, that, that'll be their market. Hmm. What's the, um, the stage of the product right now and where you said you have, you're getting into some pilot programs. Is that right? Is that what you said? Yeah. Um, so the stage of the products and we built an autonomous robot using off the shelf parts um and you know it was good you know we definitely needed a chaperone for weird scenarios um so now we we're getting into you know how do we roll this out you know at scale and reliably and one of the biggest things that we're concerned about is safety because when you have like a hundred pound robot you know if you're delivering small items like food you can get away with a you know something that's kind of light and whatever but if you're delivering packages you know you're talking like a hundred pound robot and safety is one of our biggest concerns um, so we looked at kind of building our own robot, putting it through UL certification. Um, we looked at using different off-the-shelf industrial robots that we would then add sensory on top of to make it very safe. Um, and I think ultimately that that's the way that we're looking at right now. There's a couple industrial robots that we're playing around with um, that we're going to then add sensory on top of um, that will make it incredibly safe. And, and I think that's the route that a lot of people like um, 
just because we're not, you know, we're not having to build our own from scratch, essentially. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. In terms of pilots, um, you know, we, I just got back from property in Philadelphia, uh, Ritz-Carlton. You know, people want to pilot this for, you know, months and months. Um, some people want 30 days. Some people want months and months. Um, but, you know, we're kind of getting, getting in touch with, and, you know, a lot of very, like we're starting in the very luxury, luxury end. And from there, we're kind of thinking, okay, well, if we can get the very, very luxury end um, that people see the value of, then we can probably hopefully start to see a trickle down um, into like, you know, just regular class A, not like class A plus plus or whatever we want to call it. Um, so that's where, that's kind of where we're at right now. So we have a number of pilots lined up, um, you know, all across country. So, so Brett, I mean, the, uh, when I think building a drone, I'm thinking, you know, Google, MIT engineers, uh, you know, Babs and Grace School, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. I think you're more of a business guy than you are a, a rocket scientist. Um, how do you, Oh, yeah. <laughs> to me, I mean, how, you're saying these things are off the shelf. Can you just go buy one, put it in a building and say, I want this to go to Unit 503 and it knows where to go? I mean, what do you have to do from a technical side to make a, a, a delivery robot or autonomous robot get from the, the lobby up to, to Unit 503 from a technical side? And how did you conquer those challenges yeah um so yeah you're, you're exactly right i'm not tech i'm i'm on the business side my co-founder is tech um you know he worked at microsoft and vmware for you know decades um so he's he's more of the on the tech side then we have robotics engineer that we work with um you know and then and then our app engineers who you know have spent time at ClassPass and cnn and you know that sort of thing. So I'm I'm kind of only one of one of the only people on the team that's not tech. <laughs> um, but in terms of a robot, you know it's tricky because ideally we could just go out and buy a robot, right? And then you know integrate you know our own payload, maybe put some sensory on it, and kind of kind of call it a day. Um, but it gets tricky because again, like one of the biggest things about where we're operating is the safety component. Um, you know there are little kids, children, babies, like running around in an apartment, right? Like we cannot have, you know, we can't just buy like an industrial robot that's made for, you know, a manufacturing setting or something. And then, you know, expect it to work with, you know, the appropriate safety level. Um, so then we have to go in and add sensory on top of that. Uh, uh, excuse me. Um, so that's what we're kind of doing. And there's not really, we have not found a robot that we can just buy um, off the market that would work in a public environment. Uh, we, we've searched everywhere. Um, there are a couple of Asian companies uh, that, you know, that, that are definitely exploring and some big name ones that are backed by like SoftBank and some others. Um, but, you know, looking at their specs and stuff, it's like, you know, they just, you know, they're not using safety components. Their rate of failure is questionable. Um, so we just can't, we're just not looking to take that risk. Um, so that's, so that's kind of it. So then basically what we're thinking of doing is, you know, buying off, off the shelf industrial robot, you know, adding ultrasonic sensors, real sense cameras, LIDARs to it. Um, you know, integrating with that software, which requires most of the time it kind of requires some sort of partnership so they can open up some of the software for us. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then we put our payload on top of it. Um, and then we basically, 
if if the elevators that they have are far enough along in their innovation, then we can just connect to their to their cloud API. And so what happens is the elevator company will have to come in and make a hardware installation on the property. So like in the elevator room or something, they'll add like a computer, you know, some piece of hardware, um, and then uh, that'll allow for cloud connectivity. So hopefully that answers your question. Uh, it's kind of roundabout, but. <laughs> so so you gotta, you gotta be technical, but also a lot of the off the shelf stuff that you're able to, to make it a lot more feasible these days. And I mean, that, that uh, my follow up question on that one is, you know, I think it was it was over 10 years ago. I remember it was the first home delivery world I went to. Uh, Starship was there. They had just kind of come out and they were showing their uh, autonomous robot. Uh, same time, you know, Amazon came out with a big release saying all packages are going to be delivered with drones. Uh, we're 10 years later and I'm just starting to see, you know, pilots of these things happening and they're just pilots. And these guys are running, especially the flying drones, running into regulations ref, left and right. I mean, the ones trying to get out. Uh, on the streets with the deliveries or, you know, not scaling fast. Um, when are, when are drones actually going to like become a thing? I mean, or are they ever really going to take over everywhere or, you know, what's, what's, what's your thoughts being deep in this space? Yeah. You know, that is, I wish, I wish I had more knowledge to be honest with you on where the regulations are at with that. Um, you know, I, you kind of hit the nail on the head with, you know, like Amazon said they were going to happen, I think, in like I don't know, 2018 or something, 2016. And they're like, oh, it's going to happen next year. And it's, I mean, I don't think anyone really knows. I mean, I know there's a lot of, uh, there's definitely headway being made. I think Walmart's doing some, some air drone deliveries and, you know, some other companies, FedEx is testing some stuff. Um, we, we've kind of stayed away from following it really. Uh, just because it is so up in the air. And at the moment, we don't really have a way to integrate with them. And ultimately what, <clears throat> you know, when we first, so here's something interesting. So when we first started, when I first started looking into this, you know, when I, how I started with outdoor last mile delivery is I was thinking, okay, well, I was trying to solve the air, air drone problem. And the air, dro the air drone problem is, okay, well, how are you going to have air drones delivering congested cities you know obviously they're annoying safety concerns you know privacy concerns it's like okay well what if you divide the city up into a series of like grids and at each cross section you have like a locker and then from that locker a robot delivers it the last 500 feet and so that's kind of, and, and, you know, we kind of went down that route. We, you know, we attended all these like, you know, air drone conferences and stuff. And we were like, we can't do it. Like, this is going to be ridiculous. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's not going to happen. So we were like, oh, well, maybe we'll just do the, maybe we'll just do the ground drone stuff for now. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think eventually though, I think it would be cool to see air drones delivering to the top of a building, maybe like a locker at the top of the building, and then a robot, uh, you know, taking it from that locker at the top, you know, riding down the elevator and delivering it to the door. Like, I think that's something that'd be kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I really don't know where, you know, where the air drone stuff is going to go. Um, I, I think, I think a lot of people, even industry experts, <laughs> you know, don't, don't even know. Um, is there, are there barriers currently for being inside? I, you know, I haven't seen any um, delivery robots inside, like you mentioned. Um, everyone is kind of operating in outside 
spaces. And the ones I've seen in pilots for the outside are all kind of in these controlled, you know, somewhat controlled environments of like universities. I know that there's, I'm in Chicago. I, I know I, I have a friend of mine that said that he sees these drones on Marquette, just up in Milwaukee. And I think there's maybe some down in uh, at Purdue University's campus and a variety of campuses. But for the inside drone delivery, is there, are there any barriers um, to get in? Obviously, you might not have the regulations that you have with air drones, but are there things that, you know, in micromobility, for example, um, the insurance aspect was, was quite lofty. So are there things to uh, make it quite difficult at the, at the present time? Um, whether it's insurance or, or something else? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I mean, surprisingly, insurance is low. Um, I think a lot of insurance companies were looking at this. I mean, we, we had to go to several different insurance companies and a lot of them were like, we're not going to, we're not going to do this. And then some of them were like, oh yeah, this, you know, this doesn't seem like it's a big risk. And so insurance, insurance is actually pretty low. Um, other barriers, I mean, to be honest with you, the biggest barrier is elevator, um, you know, if someone has an old elevator that's not one of the big, you know, five, basically, um, it gets a bit tricky. Uh, you know, and, and some robot companies have developed their own solution, their own hardware solution that they can then put on top. But it's very variable and very, like, it's a lot of work. Uh, the, the, the easiest and best way is for the elevator company just to do it um, and just have a cloud that you can connect to. But in terms of other, other things, I mean, regulatory, no. Um, the, the only thing that we haven't yet hit, but, but we might hit soon, um, is, uh, uh, there are some union regulations, uh, I think especially in like New York city that we haven't had to deal with yet. Um, uh, so, you know, concierges will have like unions and stuff. So we're not sure how that's going to impact things, but most of the cities don't have that. And we haven't really run into anything, um, as far as like OSHA requirements, you know, there's no, there's no like, uh, there's no like OSHA law, for example, or regulation that we have to comply with um, regarding specifically robots. Um, and that's the nice thing about operating inside, you know, at least at least for apartments and for hospitals, I can't speak to. Um, but, you know, and that's one of the nice things about operating inside is like, you're exactly right. Like the, the regulations, I mean, it's not like a you know, the city can't come in and kick us off the street, which I think happened several times in like San Francisco with, with some other robot companies. And so there's always that risk, but we don't, we don't have that at least within the building. The worst that can happen is the building kicks us out. So. <laughs> can you talk to me about the form factor? Um, you know, most of the delivery drones I've seen are this similar form factor where it's, you know, a six wheel vehicle kind of uh, driving around. I mean, I'm thinking, especially in the, the parcel space, uh, you know, why not use something like the Boston Dynamics? And I think, uh, was it like Microsoft or someone or Apple just released a similar type robot? I think even Tesla's talking about like a standing robot that walks or, you know, Nightscope, which is those uh, security ones that are walking around. It seems to me like those form factors would interface with humans. Uh, and and things that humans interface with a whole lot better, right? I mean, as a human, I'm I'm five foot eleven, six feet, whatever. You know, the buttons are where my hands are, the lockers are where my hands are. They're not down at the floor, and so the infrastructure isn't there to service everything from the floor level. Um, you know, why has the industry headed in that area, and what do you think about more of a, a vertically 
or less vertically challenged device? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. It's, you know, it's one that we've thought about quite a bit. Um, I guess, I guess, uh, there's, I guess there's kind of two parts to it. One is what's achievable right now for especially like startups, um, and just general technology, like what's achievable now. Um, and also from a cost perspective, um, and then what makes most sense operationally for the specific use case. So for example, um, so operationally, for example, uh, you know, if you're, if you took a Boston Dynamics robot, we actually looked at that and we looked at the payload capacity and we are like, it's not, you know, it can carry quite a bit, but the battery life is low. The payload's not that high. Um, people might kind of like, you know, we weren't, we weren't quite sure how people would be receptive of the form factor, but then we were like, well, you know, if we're trying to deliver like a, you know, like a pet food chewy box and like multiple of those, you know, is that going to be able to handle it? Um, and and then it came down to a question of okay, well, what about the pricing? Well, if the pricing is going to be like fifty, sixty thousand dollars, it's like okay, well, you know, what value are we really paying for other than the fact that it looks like a dog? Um, so like that's kind of like one thing with I mean for that specific use case. Now, just in general, I would just say that you know, especially for startups and smaller companies like Boston Dynamics and Tesla, like they're huge, like they have they have money to blow. Um, but for smaller companies, it's like, you know, a wheeled robot, it gets the job done. Um, it doesn't have as many like future capabilities, but it gets the job done and it could probably do it better than, you know, better than even some of the advanced versions as they are now. Um, but I think like, I mean, I'm excited to see about the Tesla bot. I think that's going to be a really interesting thing. Um, eventually maybe like a decade from now we might see different form factors, maybe even past, probably even past a decade, you know, different form factors that'll be even more efficient than just a regular box and have enough capabilities where it actually makes sense to do that. Um, so, so yeah. So, I mean, initially when I, when I saw Tesla was making a robot, people were like, are you guys threatened by that? And I'm like, I mean, it's Tesla. Like they can do whatever they want. Like if they want, if they want to deliver robots and buildings. Like, yeah, I'm, I feel threatened. But, um, but I think like, but you know, just from a form factor, it's like okay, well, it's like a bell cart versus a human, right? It's like okay, well, do you want to give a human a robot or do you want to put all these things on a bell cart? Well, it's like bell carts exist for a reason. They have more volume capacity. So, um, so I'm not like super threatened in the short term, but. I mean, I think the technology is evolving to a point where we're going to see some crazy stuff, you know, probably not to like a decade or even further than that. But um, before the short, short term, I think, you know, boxes on wheels work well. <laughs> one, one of the things that when I saw the form, you know, to the form factor points, my my knee jerk reaction when I saw that design was, could there be um, additional capabilities uh, or multifunction uh, for an apartment complex or let's say a hotel or something like that, where I could it vacuum or could it like pick up things that, uh, you know, their food order that's sat outside, you know, when you're at a hotel and all the food orders are, um, are sitting there, like, could it, would it be able to do other things that could over time, when you look at kind of the, the evolution of the product over the next, you know, to your point, the next decade, um, could it, you know, could things like that kind of help, um, you know, uh, justify, you know, this investment for a property. Yeah, for sure. I mean, 
you know, when you're talking about, you know, vacuum robots, uh, you know, cleaning robots. Um, I mean, there's also, I mean, you're trying, you know, you could, we're looking at this idea of having like a micro marketplace on the property. Um, you know, there's so many, there's, I wouldn't say there's limitless, but there's like a good, I would say like a good five or six, like definite good use cases. And I think what's going to happen is once, once properties upgrade their elevators or once there's a solution that, um, you know, it's not that complicated, but you know, once a property has that, you know, that's kind of the gateway really that enables all these other opportunities. Um, and I think that when we're talking about the form factor of a robot, <clears throat> You know, I think it's important to recognize, like, a lot of times you can get a lot of different use cases out of one robot, but I find more often than not, when we're talking about the design and whatnot, uh, you kind of need, it's like, we can't just, like, put a vacuum on our robot. It's like, there's a lot of, like, design and stuff yeah. that has to go. So it's not like, oh, this, Absolutely. this thing can do this, and it can also do this, and this, and this. I mean, eventually, maybe we can get something that's something like that, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that I think it's going to open a lot of doors uh, for other use cases, and uh, you know, we're even thinking of having like you know having like lockers off the off site in a parking garage, for example, just putting a big crate in a parking garage, and then having robots go go down and get packages from there, um, you know, from like a store, like a small marketplace. Um, but I mean, they, they, there's 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 a lot of a lot of different opportunity that I think we still have yet to explore. So. And Brett, I know um, I know you went to, to Babson uh, in their MBA, which is kind of a focus on entrepreneurship. I know we had another person on our show just recently who, who was also a graduate there. Um, seems like a place where people are really coming up with a lot of innovative ideas, and and you know I'm a, I'm a big fan of entrepreneurship and supporting entrepreneurs, and and uh, you know I think we're the ones that are creating all the cool stuff that's out there. Can you talk to me a little bit about that program, why you chose it, and kind of what it's done for you and how it sort of changed, like, why, why are you doing this? Is, is, does it have anything to do with Babson? Like, is it reprogrammed your brain a little bit here? Oh yeah. Um, so I went to Babson, uh, just cause, you know, I was always interested in entrepreneurship, um, just creating things. Um, and then when I found out you create things and also have value and make money, I was like, Oh, that's really neat. Um, so, uh, so I just looked up, you know, I graduated from university of Virginia, um, looked up, you know, the best, best school for entrepreneurship, found Babson. I was like, all right, I'm going there. I only applied to one school. Um, so I went there and, uh, and they were, just, they're just phenomenal because every, it's like every, every course you take, every, everything is just all centered around like, how do you, how do you create value? Whether it's in a corporation or outside of a corporation. Um, but how do you think outside the box and create value? Um, and then they had this wonderful program after, and I did my master's there. I wish I did my MBA, but I did my master's there, master's of entrepreneurial leadership, and they're just phenomenal. Um, but I did a program after they have something called the summer venture program afterwards. And that was kind of a Kickstarter into, you know, how do you, how do you actually effectively network with people? You know, how do you get in front of and, and pitch, you know, VCs and angels and, um, you know, some of the basic stuff. Uh, but just really kind of gave, gave me the confidence to say like, okay, well, I know that I know some of the things that, it, you know, what, what do I not know? Um, uh, you know, that, that kind of vibe, but, but it's a phenomenal program. I highly recommend Babson to anyone. Um, yeah, I mean, you're just surrounded by people trying to change the world and 
it's like there's no better place. So <laughs> um, highly recommend it. Nice. Um, you you mentioned that you're a seed um, stage business, um, either wrapped up with your your seed round or, or looking to wrap up your seed round. How can how can we help? Uh, you know, you and your business. Are you um, currently hiring or um, looking for more pilot programs? Like, how can we kind of use this podcast to um, to help you and your startup? Um, I mean, I think I'm just really thankful and grateful to be on here, to be honest. I mean, what you guys are doing is really cool. Get, you know, kind of giving, giving a voice to entrepreneurs trying to change the world. I think that in itself is, is incredibly important. Um, to be honest, this is my first podcast I've ever done. So, (laughs) um, so thank you guys. Uh, but no, I mean, you know, if, if you have any, you know, whether it's pilots, whether it's someone who just is interested in getting involved, whether it's someone who's interested in, you know, backing us with capital, whether it's and kind of across the spectrum, right? Um, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, is, is, uh, yeah, I think that's it. I mean, if you just find anyone out there that's like, either it's a potential customer or investor and they just love robots and I love innovation, like send them my way for sure. Uh, yeah. But so how, so you guys have done two episodes so far? Yeah. So we've recorded quite a few. Yeah. We've recorded, but we've, yeah, we've only, we've only deployed two episodes, but yeah, it's kind of a, uh, we're doing them every two weeks. So, um, every month we're recording three episodes, but then we're deploying them and kind of banking them up over every two weeks. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Cause I think I, I saw two on the Apple, Apple podcast. Um, so I'll share this on my LinkedIn, get some of my other friends, uh, you know, kind of dabbling in the last, last mile space to, uh, to share this and get the word out for you guys. So yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. All right. Do you want to wrap this up? Yeah. Well, thank you, Brett. Uh, it's been great chatting with you. If, uh, people want to get in touch, what's the best way? Uh, you can reach me at my email, which is bwagner at lightlinedelivery.co. Um, or you can go to our website and just fill out the contact information on our website, which is uh, lightlinedelivery.co. Um, and yeah, and that's it. I'd love to talk to anyone, but thank you guys for having me. Um, again, I know I've said this, but I think what you guys are doing is really important, and uh, I'll be sure to spread this. Yeah, appreciate it, Brett. Thanks a lot. Well, best luck to you. Looking forward to seeing these things uh, wheeling around my apartment building next time I'm there. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Yeah, see you. Take care.